Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 4. The Apostle Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, a new year eyes represents change, represents freshness, represents a new beginning, a new path. So we pray, Lord God, as we look in your word this morning, some of the things perhaps we even thought about and committed ourselves to for 2020, when it comes to spiritual growth, you'll cement further through the living power of your word this morning. Your word is alive. Your word is active. Your word is sharper than any double-edged sword. Lord God would use it wisely on us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So prayer throughout Scripture and praying and the believer are tightly linked together. If you read anything of the New Testament especially, you'll see this, that they're so intertwined that it is hard to think of one without the other. And the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 4, we see that with, in this command of him to pray, or ask the church and call us to pray further. He assumes that people are praying already. That believers are already praying. Notice in verse 2, he begins with continue. Continue to pray. And he says steadfastly in prayer. It's not this assumption he makes in chapter 4, verse 2 of Colossians, but in Romans 8, 26, he makes the same assumption. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray. For as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. It's not if you choose or if you feel like it, but when you're praying, the Spirit's going to groan from within you. In addition, Paul and the other writers of the New Testament, anointed by the Holy Spirit as they write in this fire word, gives the same command because it's a command here in Colossians chapter 4 as well that believers are to pray. But also through the New Testament, it is also a command, Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by complaining or by worrying. No, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. Or 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Paul does simply say, pray without ceasing. In his command in Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And of course, in addition to Paul, is Jesus' own teaching on prayer. Most famously in Matthew chapter 6, where he assumes that his disciples both then and today will pray. That's why he teaches. That's why he says, when you pray. The command is assumed by Jesus that his disciples were praying, are going to pray, and would continue to pray. And I say this to point out 
that scripture commands prayer and that believers and prayer are so interconnected and intertwined. You can't think of one without the other. Think of a, a fish in water. Can you think of a fish in anywhere else except a frying pan, perhaps? Imagine a bird in the sky. Imagine the stars in this night sky. So prayer is to be for the believer, and the believer is to be for prayer. Charles Spurgeon, the famous English preacher of the last couple of centuries ago, I guess now, said this about the link between the Christian and prayer. He says, I know of no better thermometer to your spiritual temperature than this. The measure of the intensity of your prayer. Again, in this quote, Spurgeon assuming that Christians pray. Because that's how they can gauge where they're spiritually at in health. So today, as we begin our week of prayer for 2020, I thought it would be good for us to hear, not the pastor ragging on you to pray more, so you can all go, hallelujah, amen. But rather, looking at the briefly, what are the benefits if we choose to pray outside the obvious of seeing God answer prayer? There are other benefits of having a healthy, consistent, praying life that's steadfast. But before I do, came across an interesting study this week on prayer in Canada. Done in 2016 by the Angus Reed Institute of Canada. And it reported... What do you think you report about prayer in Canada? Good, bad, indifferent? Sorry? Good. You've seen the study. 2016. A large number of Canadians do, in fact, engage in various forms of prayer on a regular basis. What percentage of Canadians do you think pray? Forsberg started their bidding off at 30% this morning. They went as high as 60%. 30? 50? Anybody want to up, Gene? 86% of Canadians report that they pray. Now, obviously, prayer in the Angus redefinition of prayer is the most broadest definition. They're also... Ask that question to not just Christians, but nominal Canadians who believe in different things, different practices, different religions, different idols, different gods. Now, 86% of evangelicals, I'd be hard-pressed to say that that's the number in our churches. And that's not a judgment, that's just the reality of it. But of all the people that should be praying, shouldn't it be us who say we have access to the living throne room because of what Jesus Christ has done for us? Because that's what prayer is, is taking our requests, our petitions, our concerns through Jesus into the presence of God, the living God. As I said, if we do that, we gain direct benefits. And these 10 very quick things are taken from an article I read from Dr. Gary Linton. That we gain as believers when we enter God's presence in prayer. First off is praying helps our belief. When we pray, we're doing 
First and foremost to ourselves, we're acknowledging the fact that we believe that God can. That God is. That God will answer us. That he would help us in what we're praying about. And also give us the comfort and peace about what we're praying about. Quite frankly, these are the things we will never experience if we never pray. If we never pray, how can our faith ever gain traction? Because we'll never see specifically how God can work. Not just in the big picture, but in the little picture of our lives. So when we pray, it helps our belief. Secondly, praying helps us battle the flesh. When we pray, we are engaging in spiritual warfare. Quite frankly, that we something must do because we must battle the flesh. Flesh in scripture is what it means is that anything that opposes anything spiritual within us. We have a natural, in our fallen state, a disposition not to want God or the things of God. Which we have to fight all the way to as we strive to be holy. And we know that if we leave the flesh unchecked, it draws us away from God. Draws us away from the things of God. Yet what does prayer do? It helps us. Recenter ourselves, reorientate ourselves. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.27, it helps discipline our bodies and keep them under control. Help discipline our flesh. So we would not fall away and fall into sin. Third, praying helps us towards spiritual discipline. It's linked with the last point. Is prayer helps us towards becoming greater in our spiritual discipline. Spiritual discipline, according to Dr. Don Whitney from the Southern Baptist Seminary in Kentucky, is spiritual disciplines are those practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are habits of devotion, habits of experiential Christianity that have been practiced by God's people since biblical times. It's true, we may be saved, we may be sanctified, we may be spirit-filled, but without discipline, what's the purpose? If we never spend quality time with God in prayer, when we commit to prayer steadfastly, as Paul commands us in Colossians chapter 4, we'll never purposely start to discipline ourselves towards more spiritual things. How many of you, like me, said in 2020 you're going to get on the treadmill? I passed by yesterday. If I never get on the treadmill, I'm never going to actually develop a habit or discipline of treadmilling from purposes to not just get healthy but to lose weight. Same holds true with prayer. If we never start disciplining ourselves to prayer, we'll never pray that more, that much more. Number four, praying helps us keep our first love. Again, I think we can say amen because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We have a relation with the living God. Amen. On the way, in the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We know Jesus Christ. We come to the Father, the living presence of God. So guess what? When we pray to him, it's one of the key ways that we keep the relation vibrant. 
Because what happens if we don't come to God regularly in prayer, we experience what happens in a lot of relationships we know, maybe even our own relationships. I think of a certain young lady and a certain young boy that I'm very close to that are struggling with a long-distance relationship. And when they're together, the sparks fly, not in a bad way, but in a good way. But with the Morris and Daniel, if in time they don't spend time together, what's going to happen to their fire, their sparks in the relationship? They'll start to dissipate. We've seen it in marriages before. As people spend less and less time together, what draw them, drew them together to begin with slowly gets forgotten. Well, guess what? The same holds true with the relationship with God. Oh, by the way, he never moves. It's always on our part to make sure that we engage him and one of the ways to engage him that has the most benefits through prayer. So we would not lose our first love. Number five, praying helps us keep the main thing the main thing. Because guess, and I'll be honest, this is one of the reasons David doesn't like going to prayer. When I go to prayer, I open myself up to God and acknowledge to God and myself, I'm not king. You are. I put myself in a position where it'll be easier than to keep the main thing the main thing. Because when I submit myself to God, I put myself in a place for him to work in me, for him to remind me, for him to transform me in all the ways that he can and does. Likewise, if I don't go to God, I'm showing unwillingness to really submit to him, be conformed to Jesus and all that stuff. I really want him to be Lord of my life, or Lord, I want myself to be Lord of my life versus him being Lord of my life. And when that happens, how quickly does the main thing not become the main thing? Because I become the main thing. Six, praying helps us deal with our sin. Puritan writer and preacher Don Bunyan said, Prayer will make a man cease from sin, as sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. How many of you have ever fallen short of the glory in God and sin? Isn't that the least likely time we want to go and pray? But in reality, that is when we should be going to him in prayer. That is exactly the time that we should be going to God. Why? To receive the mercy that he has guaranteed us because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Romans 6.10 says that he died once for all sin. Therefore, if he's already taken care of my sin, he already knows about it. He's already going to, I already know he's going to forgive me over it. Because if I go and confess, it's covered by the blood of Jesus that was poured out on the cross. Number seven, praying helps us from becoming spiritually lazy. Because praying steadfastly, as Paul commands us in the Colossians 4, is hard work, it's labor. It means that I have to rearrange my schedule to make it work. It takes effort to pray for myself, for others, for needs. It's an exercise. 
Why do we exercise in the physical realm? Not just to look good, but to keep our strength up. To keep our vigor up. To keep our muscles flexible and all that stuff. Well, the same thing happens when we don't when we pray regularly, it promotes not laziness, but vigor. Likewise, who laid around after they ate the turkey and stuffing and potatoes and ham and buns and cheesecake and Christmas cake and didn't feel like moving for a couple days after that? That's what happens when we don't pray. All of a sudden, we don't feel like it. We get spiritually lazy. But yet, in Colossians chapter 4, Paul asks for people to pray for specific things. In verse 3, that God would open doors for the word. In verse 3 again, so that he could declare the gospel. In verse 4, so that he would be clear to know how to speak when the opportunity came. Now, if you remember our study through the book of Acts, did we not see that Paul was granted grace in all those areas? throughout the various towns that he went with the gospel with? Now, we can't answer this question really until we're on the other side of eternity. How would that ever have been effective for him if he didn't have people praying for him? As he asked for here. What happens if people decide, you know what? I got this to do. I don't have time to pray for Paul. Or was it that people prayed... They weren't lazy. And as a result, the testimony of Paul's ministry is clear because it's still shaking the world 2,020 years later. Number eight, prayer helps us to keep praying. You ever notice you're a creature of habit? How many of you, like me, were confused the last two weeks of which day it was? Honest to God, last Sunday I woke up, I was laying there, and I was thinking... What day is it? Sunday, for a momentary lapse of reason, I was like, oh, I didn't do a sermon. I did. I just forgot which day it was. See, our routines, when they get disrupted, cause confusion. See, when we're praying steadfastly, constantly, consistently, we form a healthy habit. Just like if David got on the treadmill January 1st, I probably would have five days into a new habit. Can't you tell that I haven't? When we decide to pray, we start setting a new habit. A healthy habit. And what do you pray about? The everyday things of life to start with that we confront with every day. We often think we need to pray for the big things. And we do. But when we pray for the small things, we start seeing God move. Likewise, it's interesting. Usually it's the small things that prevent us from praying, right? Oh, I got to run this errand. I got to go talk to such and such. I got to go do this and I got to put the laundry in. Then I'll pray and we never get to prayer because we're so busy. I think you know who Martin Luther is. He was the spark that God used to start the Reformation. He once remarked this about prayer and being busy. Some of you know the cult. He said, I have so much to do that I shall have to spend the first three hours in prayer. 
John Piper, more modern and more bluntly, puts it about prayer and busyness. God acts when we pray. And he can do more in five seconds than we can in five years. Matthew 6 says, seek first the kingdom of God. Not second, not 23rd, first. How do we seek? We pray. Number nine, prayer helps us to be encouraged. I don't know how we move from Martin Luther to Wayne Gretzky, but we do. Wayne Gretzky once said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Same holds true with prayer. We'll never know how God will move if we never pray. We'll never know how he moves specifically in our lives if we never talk with him, if we never ask him to. And guess what? If we don't see him move, not only is that going to make our belief very shallow, but we're going to get discouraged very quickly. Well, God never moves in my world. Are you asking him to? But praying, on the other hand, again, not just in the big stuff, but in the small stuff as well, encourages us as we see him start answering our prayers. And as we get encouraged, we've got to go, he helped me find my keys. He helped me find my cell phone. Maybe I can ask him about that little bit more bigger thing. It helps us to gain traction. It helps us run to him more. Because we're encouraged to see what he can do. And finally, number 10. Praying helps us rely on the Spirit more. Because as believers, when we're adopted in the family of God through the new birth that Jesus Christ gives us, Scripture confirms over and over again that God's Spirit is deposited within us. Period. And so once there, he does various things. One of the things that the Spirit does is constantly cry out within us to the Father as we pray. Therefore, as we pray and learn to listen to the Spirit that's crying out from us to the Father, we start to rely on the Spirit more. Starting within our prayers. But when we get in tune with the Spirit, that then spills over to our life. We're called to live by the Spirit. We're called to live as Jesus would live. We're called to live the life of Jesus and let our own life die. We can never do that till the power of the Spirit. We're relying on the power of the Spirit. So the first place to start with learning how to catch the wind of the Spirit is through her. Again, very ten very quick things. Benefits for the believer in how to pray. So as we close, the question then is how to pray. It's quite obvious, but do we really know how to pray? There is no, by the way, there is no way, to, certain way to pray. Some people pray long and very big words. Some very people pray short. So very quickly, how can you whet your appetite how to pray better and more in 2020? Well, from books. That's why I carry my big books up here. This is one I have to read for the Alliance Ordination. Mighty prevailing prayer, but consistent prayer, not just for five minutes, but for 50 years. A Praying Life. My wife read this one last year, and it rocked her world. By the way, some of these are in our church library. Old Past, New Power. 
We read that as pastors in our denomination a couple years ago, radically tells what happens when people of God pray in a church. These are in our church library, Philip Yancey Prayer. Uh, Bill Hybel is too busy not to pray. I gave this to some of you. This is a book that God used five years ago in my prayer life to take it to the next level. In Operation World, if you want to know what to pray for, go online. This is an old book, but it tells you what country to pray for, what that country needs, etc., etc., etc. Find a book to prime your pump. Methods, the Acts method, we've probably some of us heard of that. ACTS, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. John Piper has a method he calls fades, free and form. Doesn't have to be form, but there is something to structure prayer. Alone and assemble, we're called to pray individually and collectively. If you read the book of Acts, especially the early on, talk about the early church, they're committed to public praying. Third, he says, desperate and delighted. We cry out our deepest pain to God, but yet we, we also shout our greatest joys to him. Explosive and attendant can be short, powerful, could just be a cry. And finally, spontaneous and scheduled. Also, this week is our week of prayer. In your bulletins, there's a prayer guide. Follow along this week. Use one of these methods. On the back of our bulletin every week is prayer requests. Pray. Just a few ideas. Now for the next 10 minutes.